Welcome to Vocal Unrest. I'm Rachel Robinson. Today's guest is David Sannon. David has had a lifelong love for and involvement with music. He started as a chorister in the St. Aidan's College Choir in South Africa from 1959 to 1963. He sang treble, then bass, in the church choir. They regularly broadcast motets, high masses, solemn benedictions, hymns, and other sacred music on the South African Broadcasting Corporation. David also played trumpet in the St. Aidan's College Band for five years. David attended the University of Cape Town and received a PhD in medical biochemistry. He was also a staff scientist at UCSF Gladstone Institutes for 12 years, performing research into cardiovascular, Alzheimer's, and lung diseases, using confocal and electron microscopy. While at college, he joined the University Opera School Chorus and participated as a baritone in Rossini's The Barber of Seville and Puccini's Turandot and his Manon Lescaut. After college, David went on to sing in two operas as a paid chorus member with the Cape Town Opera Company. Unfortunately, apartheid arrived and black people were banned from entering the opera house. The entire chorus walked out in protest and thus ended David's formal involvement in music for the next four decades. David returned to performing music in the last five years with the Berkeley Community Chorus and Orchestra under the direction of Ming Luke. He has served on the BCCO board and has sung bass in 10 performances. David is also a teacher of transcendental meditation. He has taught 80 people to meditate. David also likes to laugh a lot. Please welcome my friend and student, David Sannon. Hello, David. Hi, Rachel. Thank you so much for coming on the Vocal Unrest podcast and being one of my first guests on the show. Well, it's an absolute pleasure, and I hope that um, it's productive. I'm sure. Certain it will be. It will be. So I always start out by asking the same question to every guest. So I'll start out with the same question to you as I ask everyone, which is the question is, are you a singer? I think the answer to that is a resounding yes. And there's a, a little story that I want to tell you about that, a sort of a biographical story, if that's appropriate. Yes, please. So... You know, being a singer, I've just, you know, on reflecting on your questions, um, has been something that's been throughout my entire life, actually. I can remember my earliest memories as a very small child were um, singing solos to my family, you know, uh, and, and to guests. I must have been, I don't know, four, five, something like that. <laughs> I think I have always been blessed with a good ear and a very good musical memory. So I think that's a gift, you know, a genetic gift. And then when I went to boarding school, um, primary school, I sang in, always sang in the church choirs. And when I went to the high school, St. Aidan's College in Grahamstown in South Africa, um, I sang for six years in the college choir, which was actually quite a prestigious choir in South Africa. Uh, we did all the classical repertoire, you know, the sacred music and others, other stuff. And we used to broadcast on the South African um, broadcasting service for the Sunday night um, 
our services, quite often they would call on us and they would set up this whole apparatus in the, our great big Gothic cathedral and we would all gather in the choir loft. And it was a very amazing experience, you know, to actually be prepared for performance quality performances um, by very good musicians who ran our choir. So it was in my bones, you know, from early childhood. So yes, I am a singer. And the story continued when I went to university at the University of Cape Town. Um, I was friends with a lot of music students. Um, but you are was, not a music student. Although I myself was not. I was a science student, but I tilted quite heavily towards the arts, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but my closest friends were actually musicians um, at the South African College of Music. And um, they invited me to go and meet with the Professor Fiasconaro, who was the professor of opera. Well, they're a very good opera school there, actually. And, and he was looking for, for people to do choral work in, in his productions. And so that was a very exciting extramural activity for me for probably two or three years at, at university when we sang, amongst other things, we sang um, Turandot, Puccini's Turandot. Ah, yes. We went on tour with that to Johannesburg and we did big performances in the, in the Civic Theater in Johannesburg. And then the Barber of Seville and I think Manon Lesko, we went to uh, Namibia and performed there and were guests in various homes. We were fond of it. was a wonderful experience as a, as a young person, you know, the, the social aspects and the musical aspects. So that was another thing, you know, those operas. And then after the college graduation, I joined up with the uh, provincial um, opera chorus and was paid as a, as a chorus member. And we did a number of operas. We did um, Lucia de Lamamur, Fidelio, oh, and two or three others. I can't remember all of them, but we did you know, a number of, of, of operas. Um, yeah. So that's, yes, I am a singer. <laughs> wow. Yes. <laughs> and then later, later on, um, I had children and retired from my job and my daughter, Kiri, who's one of your students, <laughs> you know, <laughs> was invited as, and, and as a group, a group of sopranos and altos from the, the, um, children's chorus. The Contra Costa Children's Chorus were invited to fill out some holes in the Berkeley Community Chorus's um, lineup of sopranos and altos when they were singing the Verdi Requiem. And the kids went on tour to um, Western Europe with, with the chorus. And, and I went along with my wife, Jenny, as um, guest parents and made friends with the chorus master. <laughs> said to me, you should join the community chorus. So I did. And now I'm singing bass. I've, I've sung bass now for five years. And I can go through a long, long list of repertoire if you, if you like. But it's quite, quite the repertoire. At least 10 or 12, you know, or now, more. What, I'm curious to find, ask you what happened. What, what were you in the interim sort of between these, these early years of when you were in college and, and touring and singing in the opera choirs and then now with the Berkeley Community Chorus and singing singing with that group um, 
sort of in this interim period, were you still doing music in any any way? Yes, I, I you know, I sort of play the guitar very badly. And so, <laughs> so I was doing that. Um, and of course, I was listening to a lot of music and attending many performances all over the place, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But, you know, I never really considered myself a solo singer and and we'll get to that later in this interview, I'm sure. So uh, there wasn't an opportunity for me to sing in choruses then because I was very busy academically. Mm-hmm. And so my musical exposure was not limited, but focused on um, performances that I attended and listened to. Yeah. Appreciating music as right, to right. performing music your, right. yourself. Did and of you... course, reading, reading about music mm-hmm. a lot. Did you miss it during that time? Did you did you think yeah. about performing again during that time? Um, you know, occasionally I did think of joining of joining an opera chorus, but there was just too there was just too much going on. I mean, mm-hmm. I was a medical scientist and and a new father, and oh my god, I had a lot of work. You know, I just <laughs> I just did not have the time. <laughs> you know, rebuilding houses and oh my god, teaching meditation. Um, very busy man. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so when you got back into singing with the chorus uh, in Berkeley, um, did that feel? Did it feel familiar? Did you did that feel like something that you easily were able to kind of slip back into in the old familiarity of singing the classical repertoire? Did it all sort of come back to you, or did it feel any different than it had in the past? You know, the sacred music as typified by compositions of Mozart and, and uh, you know, the old, the old composers, the classical composers, um, that's in my bones. And so we started off with the Mozart Requiem, which is the most unbelievably gorgeous piece of music, as you know, well know. And I just felt that I arrived home. Mm. I had this feeling of, of just being back where I should be, you know, and I... Because of that music so well known, that type of music so well known to me, there's a predictive ability in your brain. You kind of know what's coming. And so it wasn't a terrible strain for me to understand that music. What was a strain were the tempi, very, very different to what I'd been used to. You know, and the complexity of the harmonies and like eight voices and things like that. So that was a challenge. And then that forced me to up my music reading skills, which is still not great, but you know, at least I, I can find my way. Yes. So no, um, I did not suffer a terrible shock in terms of the nature of the music, but I did in terms of the execution. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it's all—it's just an ongoing work in progress for all of yeah. us, as far. But the thing is, you, you, you sort of, when, you, when you're singing in a group of 40 or 50 basses, you know, you kind of are awash in a sea of, of, of song. Mm. And so you get carried along. It's like being on the tide. <laughs> so you, you've described these things so poetically, being in the tide of voices and sort of a feeling of a homecoming uh, when you went back and were doing the Mozart Requiem. So can you talk a little bit more about how singing music makes you feel and, you know, what is the, what is the attraction of it for you? I've already mentioned the, the sense of, of being at home, mm-hmm. you know, 
you know that feeling that you have as a child when you come home and your mom is in the kitchen and you sit down on a chair and there's just that feeling of being at home. <laughs> there's no other way to describe it. Uh, it's just an incredible feeling of, yes, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I feel comfortable here. So that's one big feeling I get from music. In fact, I need that. And then, of course, there's more esoteric things like when you think about your experience, my, when I think about my experience in music, I think the thing that most comes up is the sense of the dissolution of my ego, which, as you know, is massive. And so, <laughs> so <laughs> to, be, to be freed from that is probably the most important thing of all for me. It's what the closest it? to, to meditation which I have ever experienced, is the experience of being immersed in music. So there's a loss of isolation happens. And then there's the um, full engagement of body, mind and spirit. Hmm. I mean, the whole of you, the, your entirety is immersed in it. There's nothing left out. Music takes it all in. Um, and of course, you're free from thinking. <laughs> Or we hope we hope to be free from thinking. We do, yeah. I, when when you're actually a soloist, you're not free from thinking. <laughs> but, <laughs> but as a chorus member, you are a lot freer, which is another reason I like singing in a chorus. Mm -hmm. um, there's the communal energy of the chorus, which is a massive force. I mean, it's very powerful, and I only realized that with COVID as being denied that experience, that weekly experience. And then that rush of going on the stage and, and feeling that audience. Oh my God, man, you know, you can't, you can't, you can't put that into words. It's just beyond words. There's emotional release. And then funnily enough, there's a lot of inner silence, you know, in music, a lot of inner silence. Well, I've always felt that when you are really in it, when you're singing and you've kind of reached that point where everything is working, you really are in you really are in a Zen space, right? And it's uh, at, at all at once a very um, aware experience, but then also some somehow like um, almost an out of body experience where you can almost observe yourself doing these things because it's happening so seamlessly all together. All the all the everything's turning at once. All the wheels are moving in beautiful uh, like synchronicity. Can I ask you a question? Oh, As, you <laughs> turning think, the tables. Yes. Do you do you know of any um, neurophysiological work that's been done on people um, by you know EEG when they when they are actually singing to see what's going on in their brains? I would be very interested to to know about that because you know a lot of that's been done with meditators, and I would love to know if there's any congruence in the findings. I'm sure there has been. I'm not. Been, yeah. yeah, I'm not um, intimately familiar with any of that research, but I'm sure uh, there must be. There must be. Yeah. I'm sure yeah. there must be. So, um, so going on, I want to go back to when you were talking about when you were a little boy and singing for your family. <laughs> <laughs> 
so I want to I want to know a little bit more about that. Like, what what were you singing for them, and was there music in your house when you were a child? Is that something that you grew up with and were encouraged to do? There was a lot of music in my house. Um, as I've told you before, my mom played piano very well. She had perfect pitch. She sang really beautifully, harmonized effortlessly. And I do believe she also played violin at some point. And then all three of my sisters were very accomplished pianists. One of them so good that she was, you know, music college material, but she never exercised that option, which was a big mistake as far as I'm concerned. She never did that. So yeah, there was a lot of music going on, you know, sisters playing duets, people singing all the time. And when we had a lot of parties and people would gather around the piano, it was a lot of, of, of singing happening in that house. Yeah. And of course the radio, you know, listening to classical music, a lot of that too, mm -hmm. constantly. And then of course, being in South Africa, you know, growing up in the Eastern province where there are a lot of Bantu people, um, you know, um, who, you know, for them, music is like food. It's, it's not anything, it's not any kind of luxury. It's like an everyday thing. They are always singing. They can all sing beautifully. And the music is mind-blowing and it gets right into your body. You can't, you know, that was coming at us from all directions. Beautiful, beautiful song all around us. You know, hmm. that's something I miss in this country. You know, back in Africa, music is like everywhere. Yeah. You, can't, you can't escape it. That's, I mean, that's how I felt even just coming, moving from New York to California, because I, I felt that in New York, music was everywhere. Everywhere you went, there's yeah. a jazz combo playing, there's music on the street, there's just music, 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 music everywhere. And that mm -hmm. is one of the main things I miss uh, from living there is, I mean, there's so many wonderful things, of course, about the Bay Area that I love, but I, I do miss that feeling of just there could be music at any, at any turn around you this you're reminding me of a, of a story i want to quickly tell of um an expedition that i did to namibia actually no it was botswana and we were in the okavango swamp and we had hiked through the nature reserve which was pretty dangerous but they seemed to think it was okay we went <laughs> dug out canoes and then we hiked along these islands and we were sleeping under some ivory palm trees on a little island in the middle of nowhere there was just nothing just the wildest wildest place imaginable and as the sun went down you know we started worrying, thinking about lions and you know red leopards and crocodiles and hippos and oh my god and so we were settling down there and then floating out out of nowhere came this thump 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 across the water and then these voices oh my god there was a village you know out of sight but within earshot and they started up singing and drumming and they drummed for hours but it was very it was very reassuring and soothing and a most beautiful thing you know that it's like it's just normal it's like the pulse beat it's like the beat of your heart, you know, in, in the most remote place, there was music, you know. 
So let's let's start to get into the some of the some of the nitty gritty here. So yes. okay. so okay. So the, my next question is just to start out with: How would you describe your voice? How does your voice sound? How does your voice feel? Okay, you, we've run into a massive block here. Okay. Because I am strangely blank on that point. Sometimes I feel like I've never really heard my voice, you know, and only recently um, with having to make solos in the Berkeley chorus for the virtual performances, I've actually, you know, heard myself singing, you know, the, obviously the first attempts are horrible, mm. but then finally, after a little while, I stop and I think, oh, that wasn't too bad, you know, so that's how it my, that's where I am right now, you know, in terms of self-assessing my voice. It's not, I'm not strong on that. Mm -hmm. I think I'm avoiding it. I think I definitely stay away from it. Mm -hmm. Is that because of some sort of fear? Insecurity. Yeah. 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 Plain and simple. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What yes. are, I'm interested with these. So because, because of COVID-19, um, your chorus has gone to virtual performances as so many groups have and so therefore instead of meeting together and rehearsing and singing together people are recording their individual parts and then someone is putting that all together to make a, a, right. a chorus so right. when you do when you do these uh takes for the recording you said the first few tries are horrible how, how do you know like that what are you what are you listening for or what are you i guess do you have a sense of what you're trying to yes. achieve yes what i'm learning from from you know the feedback it's a very powerful learning experience i'm learning about how discontinuous my performances actually are you know i there's some parts that that flow well mm -hmm. but then the overall flow pattern is very um interrupted and jerky and the volume changes are too great and there are breathing problems and there are all sorts of like flow issues which which somehow I don't think I was aware of, huh. but but being forced to listen to myself, I'm I'm now learning about those things, and so and also the um, correct note values, you know, particularly the end of bars, actually singing right to the end of the bar, you know, things things like that are are coming up. And I suppose um, it's even more important now since since you're recording virtually, there's sort of a even greater importance on being really specific with those things, right? Like making sure you're singing the rhythms exactly and singing the cutoffs exactly because you don't have the benefit of a conductor or the people around you to remind you, oh yes, I need to stop here. Right. No, yeah, that's exactly right. And, and, and sort of the attack the initial initial note attack, particularly with a consonant, you know, that we were always taught in the chorus that you have to actually preempt that and you have to you actually have to start the consonant before the downbeat. And I never really understood why, you know, until I actually listened to the lag when the vowel sound finally comes out in the recording, it's always behind the beat. Ah. You know, so I never really understood that, you know. So and then the like other thing is singing singing long repetitive sequences of the same you know repetitive sequences like in Brahms and 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 Forêt, you know the the flattening curve of the bass as we sing through it it's like god it, you can 
you can change a semitone down. I never realized that, you know. I just didn't know <laughs> because I'm not a soloist. <laughs> So in some ways, it sounds like this has actually been really illuminating because you've Definitely. been sort of forced into a, maybe forced into an uncomfortable situation that you hadn't been in before or didn't want to really think about before for whatever reason. Um, and you were sort of um, comfortably living in the in the group, in the ensemble of, of the chorus. And now because of the circumstances we're in, you've had to sort of face face all these things about singing solo you know singing on your own and you've sounds like you've discovered a lot i have and i think that in the long run this is going to improve it's going to imp improve the overall choral experience because mm -hmm. people are going to be just that better much better as yeah. individual singers and you can already hear that in in some of the virtual performances we've, we've put together yeah. they are just crisper and more accurate i mean there's an emotional deficit because we aren't all flowing with the unifying force of the conductor mm -hmm. and so there's that missing and then of course the you know a lot of, a lot of the dynamics are not not what they should be because of the same the, because of the same reason we right. we just you know anyway yeah so that's a, that's sort of about your own experience of of your voice but i'm curious to know if you ever have received feedback from other people about your voice either when you were a child singing with your family or in the college choir you know operas or um even now you know have you received feedback from other people that was either positive or negative and how did that affect you <laughs> i'm thinking of a funny story you know when, <laughs> when i was in the university of cape town and we uh, we were also acting on the stage of course, as in the chorus, I remember in the Barber of Seville, uh, the, the, the chorus is very important in, in Rossini. But anyway, the, our, our director, Fiasconaro, said to us, he said, um, David, you and John, you, you will, <laughs> because you always come in on time, you will please make sure the rest of the chorus comes in time. I want you to stand behind the basses, and when I am bringing the downbeat, I want you to punch them in the back. So, <laughs> so that's some feedback I got. <laughs> we would literally used to punch those guys to make them start on time. There you go. So that's the one thing. That's the first thing. And then when I was a little kid, of course, people used to rave about, about my solos. But I was a little kid, man. Very cute. And then... And then after that, not a hell of a lot. <laughs> not a lot. I mean, there was um, a couple of occasions. Uh, one, uh, one occasion that, that, well, there's two things that I can recall. The first was um, when I, in the, in the Berkeley Chorus, asked to sit out one of the performances because I've never, ever heard the Berkeley Chorus perform myself. Mm -hmm. Never heard them from the... From, the auditorium and and the leader of the basses looked at me jerry he looked at me and he said my god he said i can't let you sit out he said you're one of my best basses i'm not letting you sit out <laughs> so i had no I, I i was stunned i had absolutely no idea because i consider myself one of the worst basses you know why so is jerry, that i don't know <laughs> but anyway that came from jerry and um yeah so that's you know not bad 
And then when we went on tour with the Brahms Requiem, we were in Stockholm singing in the famous theater, that huge place in the middle of Stockholm. And um, I got lost in the back of the theater trying to find the rehearsal room. So I got there just in time for the rehearsal. And then um, we had to run on stage and I forgot my glasses. I had my score, but I didn't have my glasses. And I don't know if you've ever sung the Brahms Requiem, but my God, you know, it's German. And if you can't read the words during the fugue, you are done for. You're done for. So <laughs> they were standing on this damn stage. And I thought, well, you're just going to have to fake this. You know, <laughs> you're just going to fake this. But the thing that astonished me was how much of the music I actually knew by heart. Mm. Virtually all of it, actually. And then when it came to the fugues, I obviously didn't know the German. And so I tried to read somebody's score in front of me, Lawrence's score, and some of it I put together. And I told you before, I just invented German words. But the point was that because I couldn't see, I think that I was musically more engaged than I usually am, wasn't distracted. And after that, several people said to me, that was a really good performance, David. You did a very good job there. And, you know, not only people in the chorus, but there was a, a woman alto from Stockholm who joined in and she was running her own chorus in a nearby town and she complimented me as well you know so I know that that I'm not making that up it was that was a really important compliment that you know one of only two that I've ever had <laughs> so yeah so I don't think I'm that bad <laughs> so you've received all this wonderful positive feedback Yet you said you thought you were one of the worst basses in the chorus. So I'm curious about that. I'm curious where the where's the conflict there? Where's the dis disconnect between what other people obviously hear in your voice, which is good, and then something that you hear in in yourself. So when you listen to yourself, are there things that you are dissatisfied with? What we're getting to now is a very um, fundamental level of my psyche. And it goes way, way back, uh, you know, and probably requires Carl Jung or, or <laughs> Sigmund Freud or something like that. But it's definitely psychological damage in that there's a negative, there's a negative cast in my personality. There definitely is. There's no question about that. And that is interfering with, you know, with, with, with the music. But, the good news is that that negative cost is dissolving very fast. Mm -hmm. It's just dissolving all on its own. And I think I'm my worst, you know, I have always been my own worst enemy. Mm -hmm. Definitely. There's no question about it. Right. Yeah. As, as so many of us are. And right. I find with singing in particular, because it's so personal, because it come, it is you, it comes from you, that there's so much more vulnerability there so therefore there is much more fear there fear of fear of sharing it or fear of failing at it because it somehow feels more like a reflection of your actual self than something else something that's outside probably more than any other instrument i couldn't put it better than that that's very well done yeah very well said yeah. So on the other side of that coin, though, are there things when about your voice that you like? I like my upper register, thanks to you. 
because you're the first person that ever spotted that and made me go there, you know. And honestly, there are some days where I actually could sing the lower the lower tenor parts. You know, I just feel that my resonances are better there. Mm -hmm. um, the thrill that I get in my head is greater. I just like it more, you know. In all of all these years of singing, starting from when you were a child, is there can can you pinpoint a moment where you sort of became aware of your voice as something that was special or something that you particularly loved? Yeah, I was like four or five years old mm -hmm. when I had that realization. It's a very strong memory, you know. I just remember the thrill, the feeling, that feeling of just the thrill, you know, of, of being able to communicate in a different way. Because obviously I couldn't, my speech wasn't that great when I was five. <laughs> but, you know, to get people listening to you and, and complimenting you and enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a really powerful thing. I guess it became clear to me that there's more to communication than just speech. And as we talked about earlier on today, it's it's somehow innate, right? As you've talked about in all of your travels in Africa and with different you know people of all different cultural uh, backgrounds, music seems to be the thing that is always present. I don't think it's innate. I think it's we're wired for music. Hmm. I think our physical body structure is wired for music. Hmm. It's more than just some little gene that gets expressed every now and again. It's like who you are. <laughs> <laughs> what you what what we have to do, what we have to do. Yeah. So, um just just a couple more questions here today. So, um I'm curious if uh if you've had any vocal challenges. If there's anything that has come up in your singing that has been a difficulty and what have you done to overcome those or work through any challenges that have arisen well obviously like most singers breathing is the number one problem mm -hmm. and it's it's really a question of shifting from speech mode to singing mode and making that 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 uh, that program transition that you have to make um and you know the function of a warm-up and the function of the, uh, the power of, of loving what you sing helps with that. So that transition for me sometimes takes a little time. And then I do have sort of some anatomical limitations concerned with my tongue and um, <clears throat> throat. And I think that there's some neurological explanation for that because I've got a lot of problems with nerve compression in my neck, like really bad, multiple. Mm multiple level nerve compressions that affect all those muscles. And so there's an, an, a certain tension in my head and neck that is, I can't, I, I really cannot override it because um, I just have to hold my head in a certain position in order not to have symptoms in my arms and muscles and, mm -hmm. and hands. And so that's a constant thing. Even when I'm sleeping, I have to be aware of this. So that's a very big thing because, you know, the throat, and tongue particularly and all these internal muscles they all get the same signal yeah. you know to lock into position so the only way around that is is surgery and yoga 
<laughs> and meditation now. Yes, 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 yes. And that is that is a that's a huge difficulty for singing mm -hmm. in the neck there. I mean, because that's that's where the vocal tract is is located. So mm -hmm. having having a physiological challenge there makes it even more difficult to get that smoothness of uh, vocal production. When I was younger, it wasn't so bad. And so my lower range was much stronger because it depends much more on flexibility down, down low here. Mm -hmm. you know? yeah. yeah, have you observed how your voice has changed over time? Or does it feel when like I was a younger musician, I never really paid any attention to my voice. <laughs> just I just there was no analytical component at all. We just sang. Interesting. <laughs> I mean, obviously we did warm-ups and, and Fiasco and I went through all the usual stuff, but I none of it stuck in my head. I wasn't paying attention to all. <laughs> I just used to sing. <laughs> but now with you and the chorus and so on, it's become much more intellectual, you know. Mm. So I can't really say, I can't really answer that question properly. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. That's fine. It's, it is where it is now, yes, yes. which is really probably the best response, you know, <laughs> that we just take it every time, every day, take it where, take it where it is. Um, so my last question for today is what makes you keep singing? For all these years and over any challenge or difficulty or through COVID, through virtual choir, through all of it, uh, why do you keep doing it? Um, I'm going to turn that question around. Um, you should ask me why I don't do it because, <laughs> because, because singing is like breathing. It's natural and normal. And the only thing I have to think about is removing blockages to singing. Mm -hmm. I don't have to think about why I sing. That's just, that's, you know, that's me. That's my soul coming out. <laughs> you can't stop it. It's the only thing I'm thinking about is what can I do to make that easier and more frequent? So, I mean, I will be singing on my deathbed. <laughs> Uh, you probably don't realize this, but I do actually sing a lot on my own. Like I, I will pull out the Mozart Requiem and I will sing whole sections of it. I, I've already learned like the bass solo in, 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 the, in the Benedictus, which when we get back to lessons, you must take me through. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> gladly, I do, gladly. I do, that, I do that, you know, so. Well, that's, you know, that's because as we started out with, you are a singer. And I think when yes. someone is a singer, you must sing, as you said, it is, it is you, it is the expression of your soul. You have to do it. So, and any reason you wouldn't do it would be because of some, something in the way. Yes. Well, David, thank you so much. Thank you for uh, sharing your stories and experiences with everyone today. And um, I'll just end, wrap up by just asking if you have anything else you'd like to add before we leave it leave it for today just that i think that these podcasts that you're doing are extremely excellent idea and and will help will help in so many ways you know to make singing understood 
as the force that it really is and um, bring beauty, harmony, and power back into this world where it's supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I couldn't have put it better. All right. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we'll talk and sing again soon. Yes. Thanks, Rachel. Thank you so much to David for joining me. And thank you to all of you for listening today. You can find out more about the Berkeley Community Chorus and Orchestra by visiting bcco.org. You can also visit vocalunrest.com for more information on upcoming podcast episodes and guests. Make sure to follow us on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.